Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Samuel 22? Actually, we're going to be looking at 51 verses. I, I, it should say 1 through 51. So we need to just hit the highlights and fly right through this uh, particular part. And it's easy to read and, and understand. David's song of victory. It's after he finally is in enthroned as the king and Saul is not a problem to him anymore. It's during that time that he won many battles, but it is before the time uh, that was the time of his tryst with Bathsheba. David's song of victory is practically the same, I believe, as Psalm 18, but we're just going to look at 2 Samuel 22 uh, tonight. Several points. First of all, Yahweh is the one who delivered David in everything. David spoke to Yahweh the words of this song on the day that Yahweh delivered. Now that Hebrew word means it's very similar to the word in the New Testament that's the Greek word for rapture or, or to seize from impending danger. It's a snatching away kind of a thing. This is the way that David saw his his deliverance from the hand of all of his enemies, from the hand of Saul. So this tells you what grave danger he was in, the, the very Hebrew word, and he writes it and it's the inspired word of God. So what David is saying is, I was, I was this close to death. My enemies had me in every way and I should have died, but Yahweh seized me from impending danger. And it wasn't just once. He says, from the hand of all of his enemies, from the hand of Saul. Now it's interesting that he does not list Saul as one of his enemies. It was Saul who thought of David as an enemy, but David could never think of Saul as an enemy. So it's, it's an interesting note. In verse one, and he said, Yahweh is my rock, my fortress and a rescuer to me. He has very lively language to describe all of the ways that he thinks, how he thinks of Yahweh, a rock, a fortress, a rescuer. My God is my rock. Elohim is my rock under whom I take cover. Now this is a Hebrew scholars say that this is a. This is like um, Hebraism, a Hebrew phrase that's used when people are trying to hide from a storm, a bad storm. So he, he saw his uh, dangers as, a, as horrific storms that came upon him, but God, his rock, is the one under whom he took his cover, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. He is my savior who saves me from violence. He has many colorful ways to describe 
how Yahweh seized him from the dangers that he was almost constantly in. With praise I call to Yahweh, for from my enemies I shall be saved. For the pains of death have encompassed me, and the streams of scoundrels would, would affright me. They would intimidate me. Bands of those that shall inherit the netherworld have surrounded me. In other words, those who are headed for hell. The snares of death confronted me. When I'm in distress, I call upon Yahweh. Yes, I call upon Elche. I call upon my God, our God. I call upon our God. And out of his abode, he hears my voice and my cry enters his ears. Out of, his, out of where he is, wherever he is, he hears the cry of his servant, the one with whom he has established a covenant. My cry enters his ears. It's also to be understood that everything described would here would be how Yahweh delivered David from the various dangers and predicaments he was in. So it starts, it continues like this. Then the earth shook and quaked. The very foundations of heaven did tremble and they were shaken when he was angered. Smoke went up in his nostrils and fire out of his mouth uh, did devour. Coals flamed forth from him. He bent the heavens, he came down and thick darkness was under his feet. We'll stop there. What David, it is believed that what David is describing is some of the ways that Yahweh delivered him. And one of those ways would have been a tremble, an earthquake of some kind. Another would have been a tremendous thunder and lightning storm where thick, dark clouds came over. And so the Holy Spirit says through David in God's word that God sent those things just for the sake of David. When he was pursued by Saul, there were as many as 3,000 troops. At least that's a number that's given one particular time. There may have been times more than that. I don't know. But thousands of troops of Saul were going through the weeds and the rocks and looking everywhere for David, who was, in many of those times, was alone. And I think what David describes here is just at the right time, an earthquake came and rocks would tumble from higher places and would frighten or perhaps even kill some of Saul's soldiers. A, a terrible, horrific thunder and lightning storm, a severe storm, high winds and lightning. He describes it as, as uh, smoke and fire coming out of his mouth and his nostrils. Uh, like coals of flame coming forth from him. He would bend the heavens, come down, thick darkness under his feet. So he's describing the ways that Yahweh delivered him. And this is a beautiful lesson for the child of God. God will not let anything happen to his servant until he's through with that servant. Some, it seems, die in, 
young age, Robert uh, McShane, is it Robert McShane? The famous Scottish preacher of the, I guess, the 1600s. He was in his 20s. And, and he was probably in that era, in that area, in that time, the most wonderful preacher that people, they'd come from everywhere as far as they could come in those days to make their way to hear this man preach. And then he would also take his, his horse and he would go around to various villages and places and he would preach and he just preached all the time. And he was a marvelous preacher and he died in his uh, 20s. And yet the effect that he had even carried its way all the way into the day of Spurgeon. Spurgeon died in 1892 and in the uh, foxholes and the ditches that were dug by the soldiers in World War I, 20 or more years after Spurgeon had died, the pamphlets of his sermons were found everywhere in, in the trenches of both the, the British people and, and the Germans. So this young man whom God had so empowered with his spirit, such a wonderful preacher. And I've read some of his sermons, marvelous, magnificent sermons, uh, deep and wonderful, thrilling sermons. And this young guy had such an effect that it made its way through decades and centuries. And the influence that he would bear on others, that influence carried through another preacher's time and made its way even after that preacher's death to the, to the battlefields of World War I. It's amazing how God does what he does. Here's, here's the point. In Christ, no life is ever wasted. It is only fulfilled. He fulfills our lives. Some of us die much sooner than what we would have thought he or she should have died. But God knows. He numbers our, the Bible teaches he's numbered our days. That's, and so we can't, we can't do anything but bless God for the lives that he gives because there is no way to measure the impact of the life of that person, regardless of how old or how young, the impact that will last beyond that person's life. So it's the same way here. Nothing could happen. He was a young guy. David was young. And when an earth, by himself, little guy out there and a king and his armies, an earthquake would come just before they captured him. And they would run because the rocks would fall and the earth would tremble. David, under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing the word of God, proclaimed, God did this just for me. Not just that, but the storms that would come. Whatever. David, David ascribed those things as the tools, the weapons, the methods that God would use to protect him because God had established a covenant with him. And nothing can happen unless and until God allows it to happen. You remember what Christ said to Peter? 
He said, you're going to be in such a way that you don't really want to be that way. So, you know, Peter, brash guy that he was, he couldn't talk about, I'm going to do this and I'm going, I've been there myself. I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to do this. Christ said, you don't even know how you're going to die. And you're going to die in a way that you don't want to die. And you're going to be in the company of people that you don't want to be in the company of. You're going to go places you don't want to go. And then, of course, traditional history says that he died crucified upside down in uh, Rome. I've been to, maybe some of you have been there. We're down in the basement, I guess, the under part of the Vatican. They had encased in glass that was framed in gold the chains that held Peter, uh, other artifacts that uh, were, were, according to them, I don't know, uh, relevant to the time of Peter. But Peter could not be destroyed until he did the last thing that God had equipped him, served, resourced him, and sent him to do. The same with John the Baptist. I mean, the, it's all the way through the Bible. It's all the way through. It's all the way through the history of the elect of God. God uses us, and we thank God for it. And we can't uh, we can't be burdened about it or anything because it's God. This is what He does. This is what David says here. God did these things for me. He rode upon a cherub, and he flew. He did fly. He was seen upon the wings of the wind. He fixed darkness about him as canopies, the gathering of waters and thick clouds of the skies. David hiding behind a rock, surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of mean soldiers who had the devil in their hearts, who wanted to kill David for the sake of Saul, who is a type of the flesh at least. But David, in the midst of those Surrounded by those tremendous odds was delivered. And David said and knew that God did it in whatever way he chose. He rode upon a cherub and did fly. Ezekiel, much later, much later than this, describes the Merchabah, the, the chariot throne of the Son of God, and it's coming from the north and it looks like a thunderstorm lightning and all and he gets closer and closer and then Ezekiel sees that it's the throne upon which is like seated upon which is one like the son of God and the cherubim one on each corner down on the ground four faces and six wings these these terrible looking creatures were the ones who were carrying the merchabah and wherever the spirit willed it to go, that's where they would go. Atop the whole thing was the son of God. And in Ezekiel, he, he gives a, a rather striking description of the, of the chariot throne of God the son. And God the son was riding upon four cherubim, those four who bore up his merchabah, his chariot throne. And seated at the top of those four cherubim was all power. The all powerful God who is the one who makes, 
who makes um, direct contact with his creation, God the Son. This is how David in his way says, you know, he's power. He is riding upon the kid. He is power personified and he flies. See him on the wings of the wind. I see him in the tornado that comes, in the, in the thick darkness that covers the sky and blots out the sun itself. The gathering of waters, the floods that come from the high places and the water dashes down and those soldiers of Saul are washed away and they're carried down tumbling to the bottom of the hill. Thick clouds of the skies. David says, I've seen God in those things. He delivered me in whatever way he wanted to deliver me. And this is how we should view life as well. We can really get we can really get frustrated sometimes, especially if we're stuck in an airport in Miami. My daddy, I guess, was the best one. I mean, I could get so aggravated about things. I would get delayed or my car wouldn't start or something. And he was always calm about those things. And just he would remind me that I probably was being delivered from a terrible wreck right down the road or something like that, you know. Um, and and it would, that in itself was kind of irritating, you know. <laughs> don't, don't take this moment of frustration from me. But you have to get older and love the Lord and bless God for whatever happens. This is where David is in his life. From the brightness before him flamed forth coals of fire. Yahweh thundered from heaven. The Most High gave forth his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning, and he discomfited them. How he sees the thunder and the darkness and the wind and the heavy rain and the floods and the water that's pouring down off of the high places and splashing all around. And he sees lightning as arrows. He sees all of that as the weapons of God. And the depths of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of Yahweh and the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Wherever he was, just at the last minute, Yahweh would deliver him. He wasn't through with him yet. So he took care of him. And I'll tell you, when you go through life, and then in your own weak and broken way, you try to serve the Lord, you can look back and you can see the weapons of Yahweh and how he protected and delivered. He sent from on high and he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my mighty enemy, from them who hated me, for they were too powerful for me. They confronted me on the day of my calamity. But Yahweh was a support, a stronghold to me. And then Yahweh rewarded David. Now one has to put David's definition of his righteousness in the context of how he is in service to Yahweh and how, how closely attuned he was to the work of Yahweh in behalf of his people 
in the tabernacle with regard to sacrifices and temple ser- uh, tabernacle services and so forth. So with that in mind, he brought me forth into a wide place, a spacious place. He delivered me because he took delight in me. There is a, a simple answer to any question. Why did God fill in the blank, dot, 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 question mark, whatever. Because it pleased him to do so. By the pleasure of Yahweh. Sometimes it's very confusing for us, but we're not God. His ways are not our ways. They're above our ways. And so here he says, he did what he did for me because it pleased him to do so. At this point, David takes no credit, but then he sees Yahweh at the centerpiece of everything. And he says, Yahweh rewarded me according to my righteousness. Now, upon what did he hang his righteousness? Well, upon, upon the atonement that was taught through the tabernacle, the justification that could only be found by passing by the brazen altar and then the priesthood taking the sacrifice and what was offered to be offered as a, as a pleasant aroma to Yahweh. This is, this is how he sees it. According to the cleanness of my hands, he recompensed me. You see, it's the work of Yahweh that would cleanse his hands. Thus, Yahweh would be pleased. For I have kept the ways of Yahweh, and I have not wickedly departed from the commandments of my God, my, my Elohim, my God. For all his ordinances were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from it. Okay, so he knew the law. Kept the law in the best way he could, but never forsook the rituals of sacrifice and offering. Never did. So he could easily say, I have kept the ways of Yahweh. My wickedness was transferred to an atonement, to a, a substitute to, a, to a, a, a designated beast that had otherwise been declared clean and spotless. And that thing became my sin and my sin was transferred to that. That's why he says the ways of Yahweh not departed from the commandments of my God. For all of his ordinances were before me for his statutes. I did not depart from it. So this is where David defines his righteousness according to the ordinances and statutes of, and ways of Yahweh. We do the same thing in Christ. There's nothing good about us, about me. There's, there's no good thing in me. But Yahweh, there's a new covenant that exists between Yahweh and me. And it has been paid for by the blood of Christ. And so in Christ, in Christ, I have righteousness. I have none of my own, but I'm covered in the righteousness of Christ. David here covered in the righteousness of the ordinances and statutes and ways of Yahweh. And I was single-hearted toward him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Yahweh has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness, before his eyes. 
The man after God's heart, the man in pursuit of the heart of God. David knew this was the centerpiece of his life. This was the essence of his existence to pursue God in the best way that, that he could in that day. And he knew there was reward and there was cleansing before the eyes of Yahweh because he kept those ways and he kept himself. And look at this. I kept myself from my iniquity. He understood that he had a fallen nature like the rest of us. But he did all he could do to keep it in check with regard to being obedient to the ways of Yahweh, the ordinances and statutes of Yahweh. So then there's Yahweh's faithfulness toward David. With a kind one, show, you show yourself kind. With an upright and mighty man, you show yourself upright. With a pure one, you show yourself pure. But with a perverse one, you deal crookedly or, or, or in, this, in this way like he is. You meet him with the passion and penalty of his sin. And the humble people you do deliver. But your eyes are upon the haughty in order to humble them. David experienced this all the way through his life, even in his own life. Later in life, later after this, Yahweh is faithful. As David went about what God had called him to do, he did what he did by the power of Yahweh, the enablement of Yahweh. First of all, by the enlightenment that came to him from Yahweh. You are my lamp, Yahweh, and Yahweh does, does light my darkness. He could not have known the way, he could not have seen the way, if not for the light that came from Yahweh. And then Yahweh empowered David. For by you I run upon a troop. By God, by my God, I scale a wall in, in the strength of my God, by, by my God. And in God, his way is perfect. Or with God, in God, with God, his way is perfect. The word of Yahweh is tried. He is a shield unto all them that trust in him. For who is El except Yahweh? That's, of course, the great, the great generic name for God, creator God, El. Who is El except Yahweh? And who is a rock except El, except our God? except the one who is my God and our God. El is he who has fortified me with strength and he looses perfectly my path. He makes my feet like, like hinds, like, like gazelles, like sprinting, running fast animals. And he sets me upon my high places. He trains my hand for war so that my arms are able to bend even a bow of brass. David can take no credit for anything that he's ever done or the victories that he has won or the ways that he has been brilliant in fighting the war, the wars that he had to fight, the battles he had to fight because it came from the strength of God. It came from the uh, enablement of God, the resources that God had placed within his life. And then he 
enlarged David. You have given me the shield of your salvation. You've increased your modesty for me. You've enlarged my steps beneath me and my ankles have not slipped. I have pursued my enemies and have destroyed them, never turning back until they were consumed. And I have consumed them and I have crushed them that they cannot rise. Yes, they are fallen under my feet. Gives you an idea of what kind of commander David was. He didn't fight a war until it was utterly completed. And his enemy was completely crushed, fallen under his feet. For you have girded me with strength for the battle. You have subdued unto me those that rose up against me. And of my enemies, you have given me the back of their necks. Those who hate me that I may cut them off. Behead them. It's the, the pictures, they just bend over and take it from the back of the neck with the sword of David. They looked about, but there was no one to save them. They even looked to Yahweh, but he answered them not. Then I ground them as the dust of the earth, as the mud of the streets. I tread upon them and I stamped them down. Finally, Yahweh established David in his great place. First of all, he enthroned David. You have allowed me to escape from the contenders amongst my people. You shall keep me as a head of nations. A people whom I have not known serve me. Strangers lie to me. As soon as their ears hear, they obey me. The strangers will wilt and become lame from their bondage. Yahweh caused the hearts of David's enemies and the nations around, the kings around him, to melt at the name and presence of, of David. And then Yahweh exalted David. Yahweh lives. And blessed be my rock and exalted be God, my God, who is my rock of salvation. For God, it is by God or for God who takes vengeance for me. For by God... Vengeance is taken for me, you could say it that way, and brings down peoples under me. And it brings me forth from my enemies and above those that rise against me. You have lifted me from the violent man. You delivered me. Finally, it's all because Yahweh chose David. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, Yahweh, among the nations. To your name, I will sing praises. He gives great salvation to his king. He performs kindness to his anointed, to David and to his seed forevermore. This is David's song of thanks, his song of, of gratitude here in this particular chapter of 2 Samuel. And this same gratitude continues into the, into the next uh, chapter, but we're going to stop here for now and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.